think I'll bring this cup of water with me. Sound like Johnny Cash. I don't look like him. Kind of sound like him tonight, though. So I told somebody I was going to preach in the, my sermon in the voice of Johnny Cash tonight. So <coughs> bear with me if you would. But if you do have your Bibles with you, let's open to John chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 17. We're going to go through 23 and read part of 24, all of 24 actually, and we'll have some more verses after that. So if you have your Bible while you're getting there, be in prayer for, for our church, and maybe we can see a revival break out here one of these days. Maybe it'll be one day soon. But if you got your Bible, we'll go ahead and we'll start reading right there. Verse 17, John chapter 5. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now. And I have been working, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him. Because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but he had said that God was his father, making him equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do for whatever he does the son also does in a like manner for the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel for as the father raises the dead and gives life to them even so the son gives life to whom he will for the father judges no one but committed all judgment to the son that all should honor the son just as they honor the father who he who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him and like i said read read on down into 24 there most assuredly i say to you he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. Verily, verily, I say to you, Jesus here says, I who am the amen, the truthful, the faithful witness, say, hear my words. The gospel, that is, and those who believe in him who sent, says, me will have everlasting life. Believes in him who sent me will have everlasting life. Why start on this verse? Because that's where we ended. But because that's where it all really begins. Our life begins with believing in Jesus Christ. We don't know what festival Jesus might have been attending or observing there in Jerusalem when he was there. But Trenton preached here a couple weeks ago on the, on the, on the man that got healed at the pool. And that's where we kind of pick this story up at. We find Jesus just going through all this stuff. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't there to observe any kind of Sabbath or holiday, but Jesus' main purpose, he was there because there was a crippled man in a pool that needed Jesus at that very moment, at that very time. He was there to use the miracle as a message to the people. The miracle illustrates what Jesus said in John 524, the power of his words and the gift of life. Something was going on at that pool that day, that pool of Bethsaida. Even though it was a pagan place of worship, that's a lot of pagan worship went on in that place if you read some of the history about it. But something was going on there. And if 
I don't know what version of the Bible you have, but if you'll notice in the ESV and, and the NIV, there's some verses missing there. But in the King James, it plainly lays those verses out, verses, the last part of verse 3 and part of verse 4. So I don't know if you, if you knew that or realized that. Some of the manuscripts that we had that were translated from person to person to person, some of them omitted that. But there was definitely something going on there because why would a man sit and stay there for 38 years? Why would he sit there and be there if something wasn't going on? Something was going on there. 38 years waiting, and nothing was happening for this man. But something did happen one day. Jesus showed up in this man's life. In John 5, 39, we find more a real good nugget of truth that we need to put and pull this picture all together. It says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. These are they which testify of me. The New Testament had not yet been written. The works that we're talking about here, Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees. And they approached him, and they said, they asked him why he was healing on the Sabbath. The works they would search would be the Old Testament scriptures. That's what the Pharisees should have been searching. That's what they should have been looking at. And we've searched these scriptures over the last two years. We've been looking for Jesus in every book of the Bible. And we've been finding Jesus in every book of the Bible. Over the last two years, from Genesis all the way up to Isaiah, because that's where we stopped at, so we could jump over here to John to learn some, some real truth about Jesus we have learned that he's in every book. Jesus has always been there. And all you had to do was search the scriptures. We've been searching. We've been looking. We've been finding. Some have been plain. Some have been not so plain. But we have discovered that Jesus is in every book of the Bible. The Pharisees would have known this if they would have just studied the scriptures. If they would have just looked at the scriptures, they would have seen Jesus right in front of them. Had it been not for the fact they didn't even know the scriptures. They didn't know. They were spiritually blind. And that is the case for many of us today. We have not searched the scriptures. We have not studied the scriptures. We've just breezed through them. And we've not really taken the time to look at what God has to really say to us. You know, and they had a good racket, the Pharisees did. They had a good racket going on. Remember when Jesus went and cleansed the temple out? What were they doing? They had money changers in there. They were charging way more than they should have been for the, for the offerings that the people were supposed to buy to sacrifice. They had a good racket going on. They wanted the control over the people. So they didn't want this Jesus being in the way. They just didn't want to have it. Just his healing alone was a great sign. It was a good work. And it was a mighty work. And they should have just seen that and known, man, this man has got to be God. Nicodemus realized that. When we go back and we look at what Nicodemus said, he said no one can do this unless they have God in them. Nicodemus was doing, he's seen it. He knew. No one has ever done the things that Jesus did while he was here on this earth. No one. And they should have recognized that was God. It seems to me that most all that seen the miracles and the wonders that Jesus did would have had known they meant something. 
They would have known that something special was going on there. The things that Jesus was doing were the things that they grew up learning about in the Torah. The Pharisees seen this stuff in the Torah. They knew that, that Moses parted the Red Sea. They, they, seen the, they heard about the pillars of fire and the pillars of smoke. They heard about the God on the mountain. They heard about the bronze snake in the wilderness. They heard about the quail and the manna. They heard about Elijah and the fire. And, the, and the, they heard about the, the, <coughs> the dead widow's son that was raised from the dead. And they knew that only God or God through his prophets could do such miracles. They knew that. So what made Jesus so different? What made them hate him so much? The Bible says that the Jewish leaders grew to hate Jesus for many reasons. Mark 15, 3 says that the chief priest accused him of many things. And they were angry with him. And they were upset because of their traditions and some of their scruples about the law. They looked down upon him for eating with sinners and tax collectors. And, and associating with the unclean and the unworthy. And I thought, about, I thought about when we was over there in the leper colony. How nobody would go down there to the unclean. And the lepers. And my wife's sitting there saying, it's a hillable. Leprosy's hillable. Why won't they go down there? Because these people thought they're unclean and untouchable. They don't want to associate with them. But Jesus, he would go and associate with these kind of people. But most of all, they hated Jesus because he claimed to be from God. He claimed to be equal to God. And as time went on, dared to make himself equal to God. That's what they hated him for. That's what the crowds turned against him for. That's why they put Jesus to death. They didn't realize that was part of God's plan. But they realized they didn't like Jesus. The Jewish leaders <coughs> could not recognize Christ's uh, divinity and his divine authority. Jealousy was also probably no doubt a part of it. But deeper than that, they simply did not have the eyes to see or the faith to believe that Jesus was Christ, that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Son of the living God. You know, what was the penalty for breaking the Sabbath day law? That's right, death. Death was the penalty for breaking the Sabbath day law. But did you notice that the Pharisees, they didn't run after the man that was healed, did they? And he broke the law. He was carrying his mat. But they didn't go after him, no. They went after Jesus. They went after him. And when they found him, they, it says the persecution started. They started persecuting Christ. The Bible says they hated him without cause. They ignored the good deeds that he had performed for the helpless and the hopeless. They just ignored all the good stuff that he'd done. And they centered their own attention on destroying him. The Jewish Sanhedrin, the religious ruling council of the time, they had the responsibility of investigating all the new preachers that would come into the territories and the teachers that come into the land. At least some of them be false prophets. And they'd come along and they, they would lead the people astray. So they had this job that they were supposed to go out and protect the people from these false teachers. And they had looked into the ministry of John the Baptist and, and, and then they really started looking into and scrutinizing the ministry of Jesus during this time. And Jesus healed the demonic on the Sabbath. And the disciples, they pulled the, the heads of the grain off the wheat plants on the Sabbath. And he eventually would have healed the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath. 
All of these things deliberately challenged the legal traditions of the Pharisees and the scribes. And when they confronted Jesus with his unlawful conduct, he simply replied that he was doing only what his father sent him to do. Only what his father had sent him to do. God's Sabbath rest had been broken by man's sin many, many years before all this took place. And every since the fall of man, God's been seeking the lost sinner. And he's been seeking to save them. But when Jesus said, my father instead of our father. And that's what usually the Jews would use, our father. But Jesus said, my father. He claimed to be equal with God. And five more claims, which man must choose to believe or reject. We can call them declarations that Jesus made that demand a response. And we need to accept or reject these claims. Non-believer, believers alike. What are those claims? What are those declarations? We find them in verse 11. Here in John 5, we'll find 11, I said we find them in 11 verses here in John 5, 19 through 30. But before we get to, into those points, I want to share with you a little bit about verse 17 because it says there that Jesus, but Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. I, I thought, boy, this is an interesting verse, so I started kind of studying this out, and George McDonald makes this point about John 5, 17. He gives us a, a profound insight into the, to the Lord's miracles. Jesus did instantly what the Father is always doing slowly. Now, let me repeat that. Jesus did instantly what the Father was doing slowly. For example, in nature, the Father was slowly turning water into wine. He does that through the natural process. But Jesus, he did it instantly. Here's another example. Through the powers in nature, the Father is healing broken bodies. But Jesus, he came and he healed them instantly. Nature is re repeatedly multiplying bread. It's from the sowing of the seeds to the harvest. But Jesus multiplied it instantly right in his hands. The Father has been slowly doing his work through his creation. Through nature, and when Jesus came, it became immediate. He will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Amen? He will show you greater works than these so you may marvel. And that is really the first declaration. The first declaration is that Jesus claims he is equal to God. John chapter 5 verse 19 and 20 says this, Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in a like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these, so that you may marvel. The Pharisees knew exactly what Jesus was saying when he made that statement. We said that before. They knew he said that he was the Son of God. He had called God 
his own father. And no matter how you say it, truly, truly, verily, verily, amen, amen. He says there most assuredly, Jesus says, I say to you, I claim equality to the Father. While we know that God the Father and Jesus are two distinct persons, the Father and the Son are equal and they are unified. Such as the Father and the Son cannot act opposite to each other. They do the same. Jesus is the perfect revelation of the Father in human form. Come to earth. Everything he does is a reflection of the Father. There are are one, they are one being and one mind, and everything the Father knows, so also does the Son. And the second declaration we find here in these verses, John chapter 5, verse 21, and then we're going to jump to 26. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. <clears throat> For a mere human to claim that he can give life, that's an outrageous claim. It's an outrageous claim. Think about this for just a second. A doctor on his best day can only give medicine or administer treatments that will delay death. Think about that for just a second. Let me, let me repeat that, actually. A, a doctor on his best day can only give medicine or administer treatments that will only delay death. They cannot give life to a dead body. They cannot even really guarantee that they can extend life. All they can do is delay death. And that's even if they can do that. Even the prophets of the Old Testament, they didn't claim to have the power to raise the dead. They claimed that through God, through them, they had the divine power to raise the dead. They were just an instrument of the divine power in those days. Only God can create something from nothing and breathe life into it. Only God can do that. Even old, remember Nicodemus? What did he say? No one can do the things that you do unless they have God in them. He knew there was something special about Jesus. Think about this as well. When we have a loved one who's sick or who's weary or discouraged or destitute, we can do things that can help them. If they're sick, we can give them medicine. If, if they're weary, we can provide them with a place of rest. If they're discouraged, we can encourage them. If they're destitute, we can give them money, provide them with their needs. But when they die, there's nothing that we can do for them. All we can do is mourn our loss, not their loss. All we can do is mourn our loss. Only God has the power to raise the dead. He is the giver of life. When Jesus spoke and called Lazarus from the dead, this should have been one thing that the scribes and Pharisees could have seen and gone, wow, man, there is something really special about this guy. But no, it wasn't. If you go to John 11, verses 45 through 48, it says there that many of the Jews who had come to Mary's and seen the things that Jesus did, they believed in him. 
But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man's works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and they will take away both our place and our nation. Sounds to me like they were worried about themselves a little too much. Sounds to me like they were worried about the Romans. Sounds to me they were worried about their worldly stuff. They weren't worried at all about salvation, were they? Have you believed in the giver of life tonight? And submitted unto his authority? Or are you still caught in the world living worldly? Thinking about the things that you have to give up to live a lifestyle that... that has Jesus involved in your life. Don't miss it, people. Salvation only comes from the giver of life. And his name is Jesus. That third declaration is that he is the final judge. John 5, 23, and then 27 says these things right here. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And then the last part of verse 27, it says this right here. And, and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. If I were to ask you the question, who is the final judge of man? Who is the final judge of man? Most people say God, right? Believe it or not, seldom will you ever hear anybody say that God isn't the final judge. Most people will, will say God, God's going to judge. He's the one that's going to do it. God knows the intentions of the heart. He sees all things, and he's keeping a record. A lot of people say he's, he's forgotten it all, but... The Bible says this right here. The Lord looks from heaven and he sees all the sons of men. From the places of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all of their works. That's in Psalms 33, 13, and 15. Psalms 56, 8 says, You number my wonderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? The ESV says it this way. You have counted my tossings. Every time you toss and turn, God's making a record of it. I read these verses to set you up for this right here that's to come. It's the final judgment. In Revelations 20, verses 11 through 15, it says this right here. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it from his from his presence, earth and the sky fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great, the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the dead were judged by what was written in those books. And then the sea gave up its dead, who were dead in it, Hades, death gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he 
was thrown into the lake of fire. If you're not a Christian here tonight in this place, there is a record being written of your works. There is a record being written of your works. Everything that you have done, those things that will be held against you at the final judgment, everything that you've done in private that you've not told anyone about will all be written in that book. The Bible says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books. I don't know how the Bible could be any more plainer than that right there, according to what they had done. According to what they had done, they were judged. And then the other book was opened, and it was the Lamb's Book of Life. If your name is not found in that book, you are cooked. That's as easy way I can put it right there. You are cooked. You are cast into the eternal fire. You are done. But Christians, take notice here. Those books of records that will be opened. When it comes to your page in that book, it will be unreadable because it's covered by the blood of Christ. It is stained with his blood, though, so it cannot be no longer read. If you want to know, God does forget. He forgets and he forgives your sin. Each and every one of them that you've committed in your life, God will forgive those sins and he will forget those sins. Those will no longer be written in that book because you belong to Christ and your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. Are you in that book? Is your name written among those whom will be found righteous? Do you know tonight when you stand in judgment where you stand? Eternal life or death is at stake. And it's not a 50-50 chance. You can know tonight 100% where you will go. We can take care of that tonight. If you do not know that, we can take care of it tonight. Our hope is in Jesus and it's a 100% hope no other the fourth declaration is this right here <clears throat> and i've got to get a drink i'm sorry fighting this cold fighting everything that's going on somebody asked me this evening well the smog and stuff was bad over there in india will you go back and i said you bet i will i'll go back in a second i'll i'll deal with all that stuff again just to go back to share the gospel over there the fourth declaration is this right here he will determine the eternal destination of humanity. Most assuredly, he says in John chapter 5, verse 24, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in me, believes in him who sent me, has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. You know, I've talked to Bryce about this, and, and last there just a while ago, I, I don't have to go to no fancy illustration other than what the Word of God says. And if you open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, we'll find the perfect illustration in Jesus' own words about he is the judge and the final destination of humanity. And when the Son of Man comes into his glory, it says, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him, he will gather all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place on the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you 
from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you fed me. And you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, if you done it to the least of these, my brothers, then you did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And there needs to be something that needs to be brought up right there. Hell wasn't made for people. God never intended for you to go to hell. Hell is a place for the devil and his demons and his angels. So why would anybody on earth choose a place that wasn't even meant for them to go? But yet we have people who say that they're going and they're... And it continues on. And it says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. You gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will enter, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or, or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And the fifth declaration that we find here in John chapter 5, in these verses here, the fifth declaration is he will raise the dead. He will raise the dead. Most assuredly, he says in John 5, 25 through 29, he says it again, most assuredly, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you, An hour is coming, and now it is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Listen to that. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment also. Because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear the voice and come forth. All will hear those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. The great takeaway here is I believe the dead can't hear. You can scream as loud as you want. A dead man is not going to hear you. But Jesus says there is an hour coming when the dead will hear. They're going to hear the voice of Jesus. They're going to hear that voice. And those who hear it will live, he says. But he also says, wait, there's more. Don't marvel at this. Don't be surprised. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the grave will hear the voice and come forth. This is the power that is in the voice of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. He will raise the dead. Oh, there's a great day coming, right? There's a great day coming. When the dead men who cannot physically hear the voice of Jesus will come forth from them graves because they have heard the voice of the one and only. And those who have done good, is what the Bible says, to the resurrection of life. And those who have done 
evil through the resurrection of condemnation. Tonight, are you listening? Are you hearing the message that Jesus is giving us? Hear it now before it's too late. Hear it now before it's too late. Listen to the voice of the Father who's calling you to come to salvation. Be the one who hears to the resurrection of life. Do not be the one who hears to the resurrection of condemnation. Because one of these days we will all hear. And the sixth and the final declaration is that he is always doing the will of God. Jesus is always doing the will of God. He says, I can of myself do nothing as I hear. I judge, and my judgment is righteousness, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. And that's John chapter 5, verse 30. Jesus could do nothing by himself because he sought the will of the Father. He sought the will of the Father in the garden. And, he, and it says there that he went in a little further and he fell on his face and he prayed saying, Oh, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Two more times he would pray that same prayer. Your will be done. It was Jesus' first claim as he's restated there in verse 19 of chapter 5. The son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son does in a like manner. It was the son of God doing the will of God. Is it any wonder that when Jesus taught us to pray that he would include the words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's because Jesus also wants us to do the will of God. In John chapter 14, verses 10 through 14, it says, we'll get to it just a second, just right after Jesus says, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, he says this right here. Do not believe, do you believe, sorry, do you not believe that I am the Father? I am in the Father, and that the Father is in me. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe the works that I do. He will do also. The greater works than these will he do, because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in the name, in my name, in the name of Jesus, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. When we do the will of the Father, we do it in Jesus' name. You can expect great and mighty things to happen. When you do the will of the Father and you do it in Jesus' name, you can expect great and mighty things to happen. I've seen it happen. I've seen some unbelievable things happen with my own eyes. So we don't stop praying and we don't stop looking for miracles and we don't stop looking to do the Father's will. We seek it on a daily, daily basis. And when we do, great and mighty things will happen. If you're not seeing any miracles in your life, if you're not seeing things happen in your life, Maybe you're not doing the will of the Father. Maybe you're not doing what Jesus has told you to do. 
Maybe if you did, you would see those things happen with your own eyes. You'd see those miracles that happen in your life because of prayer. We've seen many things happen here. This has Harold and Pigeon come to play. I want to close with this right here. Jesus never once anywhere in Scripture says these words. He never says, I am God. Why would he not say that right out? That he was God. After all, he is God. He was God. He claimed to be equal with God. But I believe the reason why Jesus didn't just come right out and say, I am God, is because Jesus was humble. He was a humble man. He lived in that humbleness every moment of his life when he was in human form. He was a humble servant. Why? Because he was our example. Paul gives us that insight in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death even the death on the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above all names and every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He was a humble servant of his own Father. Jesus, doing the will of God, came to die for my sins. He came to die for your sins so that we could have a life and a relationship with God, a restored life and relationship with God. By God, through Jesus Christ, God's will has been achieved. Has it been achieved in your life tonight? Has God's will been achieved in your life tonight? Do you believe? Do you know? Jesus is? Do you believe that he is God's son? Can you believe that? Do you know him today? Please don't turn him away. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to our time of invitation, I just ask that those who are here tonight who do not know Jesus, that today be the day that they seek salvation out. They seek out the understanding of who Jesus is and why he came to die for their sins. Father, we ask you to draw that person to you tonight, Father, that they would ask and receive Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Because there is a judgment coming one day and there will be a division between those sheep and those goats, Father. And we just ask that, that if there's one here today that needs Jesus in their life, tonight that they would come. Tonight, if there's a Christian here that needs just to to get back into the will of God. These altars are open for you to pray. You can pray right there where you're sitting. God, be stronger in your life. Be more, pre more present and more available for him to use in your, in your life. All you have to do is ask him.
asking for his will to be done tonight. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life, Father. We thank you for who you are, Lord Jesus. And tonight as the altars are open, you can come and pray. If there's one here again that needs to, to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, come and do that tonight.